Hello and welcome back to the Would You Give Me a Stage Hand podcast. My name is Toby Baton, and today we are talking about my experience stagehanding for the first time, as well as we're talking thesis films with my good friend Abby Rhodes. We talk about her upcoming thesis film called Dykes and Their Falses, um, experience for her writing it, directing it, all that fun stuff. Yeah, let's get right in. So the first day of stagehanding, I was working the load-in for Billy Joel and Carol G at Gillette Stadium, which was in Foxborough. So I took the train, and luckily on my way there, I saw some people who just looked like they were stagehands and had some multi-tools with them and were wearing all that garb. So I asked them if they were also going to the Gillette Stadium Lowden, and they said yes, and so I walked with them. They're very nice. I don't remember their names, but they um, basically gave me like a really quick rundown and were like, this is where we go to do X, Y, and Z. Basically, I obviously was set up in the parking lot pretty close to the entrance, and they you sign in with them and they give you a wristband um, that coordinates with a specific uh, department and the wristbands are different colors. I was put in the pusher department, um, probably because I was just starting out and on the D-list, um, meaning I had the lowest seniority. Um, in hindsight, there when you fill out your availability, you have an option, the option to um put your your skill set and your interests which i didn't do and i should have done because then maybe they would have put me in the video department from the jump who knows um but it ended up working out fine so then we walk into the actual stadium um and good amount the stage is already set up but nothing else basically no floor seating is set up yet just the stage and they're a bunch of loading trucks with that's a lie they're probably like two loading trucks with all the equipment but they're two huge trucks um yeah gillette Stadium's football field and the trucks took up a good portion of the football field so they were huge and because i was at first put in the pushing department my job along with about 15 20 other people was to just push all of the equipment to their respective places. So I was doing that for maybe like 15 minutes and then one of the head IOTSI guys for the video department was like, come with me, you're gonna be in the video department now. And in my head I was like, score, I don't want to be a pusher. So that was clutch. So I got to be in the video department and that's where I spent the rest of the shift. Being in the video department pretty much consisted of setting up the huge LED screen that would be behind the artists as they performed. Good amount of concert venues have this. I feel like I've mostly gone to concerts at smaller venues, so they usually don't have any sort of video projections, although the last few concerts I've been at, I went to have. Uh, I can think of like the Gannis Arena. They would have video projection like that. MGM would have a video projection like that. Uh, Leader Bank also does, um, which is cool. But yeah, Gillette had a huge video screen 
that would go behind the artist predicting whatever they wanted whether it be like the artist's logo or like the actual live feed from the concerts that would be projected on the video screen so being in the video department basically entailed slowly assembling the screen row by row and it was probably like a hundred pieces of these huge led flats that are maybe maybe like i want to say four by four so these screens were stage right and stage left upstage we built them in two different intervals they were pretty heavy they were made out of metal and led so we had to assemble the screen in a very specific order so first we would slide the respective led screen so they were all like lining up next to each other and then we would plug in the actual wiring which went across each led uh, panel and then we would latch them together and then another ILT guy who was higher up would hit a button on a lever that lifted the screens up and then we basically just did that over and over and over again until the entire led screens were up in the air and we did that for stage right and stage left it was kind of scary knowing that if you just if you forgot to plug something in or if you didn't latch it correctly it could come plummeting down towards you or it just wouldn't light up during the performance which i kind of like flash forward to that in my head and it was like they're really giving me too much power and so after we finished setting up the screens we did the stage right one first and then the stage left one second in between that we had lunch and we came back to finish the stage left screen and then i basically got to go home. I was looking panicking earlier in the morning and of course forgot my lunch at home so I like quickly stopped somewhere and like got a bagel. And they also had breakfast and coffee so it was like that'd be, that'd be fine. Um, I had to work the double that day and like go to a different job right after so I was like oh will I have enough food but it ended up being fine because they provided food which usually they do provide some sort of food i think just because this was like a bigger scale load-in they provided a lot of food whereas the second load and i did that was smaller scale there was breakfast and snacks and stuff like that yeah that was the load in it was i believe i don't know it could have been a couple days of load in a couple days of load out um and yeah that was for billy joel and carol g i think they were not performing together it was like one night of billy joel or something and another night carol g and then i did the load in for boy genius which was inarguably way more exciting than the first load and i did strictly because i really liked the band and i thought it would be cool and it was cool and then i got to see the show the same night which is even cooler so i'm gonna talk about that i arrived to the load in a little bit late because i honestly didn't think i was gonna get the call i initially got a call for a different um, load in which wasn't an artist it was just an event and they called me and i said oh i also submitted my availability for the boy genius load and ken do you have any room for that and they said sure and so i was able to work that one so i got to the boy genius load in and again i was a pusher which I kind of expected would happen. And basically, I was pushing the whole time. There was one load-in truck, 
and one guy who was part of the Boy Genius um, tour team who was kind of directing everything. So what we were doing was kind of just like loading out all of their equipment and then putting them onto the lift that would then be lifted onto the stage. So we did that for a few hours and then we had like a break in between. Typically, I'm gathering that what happens is that people kind of come in at different times. So say if a load-in starts at 10, some people will get there right at 10. Some people may get there between 10 and 10.30. So they kind of separate that. And at least that's what they did with the ones I went to. That kind of dictates when your break is. I want to say at this point it was like 1 or something. And the earlier group had already taking their break and they had been dismissed basically and so the people who came in a little bit later which was me we were we stayed for a little bit later just to assist the tour team like i don't really know how to differentiate it because there were there were the stagehands who were union and they were the people with the team with boy genius's team who were i don't know if they were union but they were like they all had like boy genius passes on them so probably hired their own like lighting guys and whatever just to assist and um they really really knew what they were doing what i was basically doing the last like 45 minutes was helping that the actual tour team tour guys with stage setup so they had to set up some like the actual instruments which was pretty cool i helped set up some of the backup keyboards and did help set up <laughs> the lead singer's microphones which is super dope i can't remember whose i put but i think it was phoebe's and that was super dope you just know in my little heart of heart that i had a tiny role in that so we, do. we also helped them rig some lighting to them very minimally we helped um, them set up the lighting as well there were other guys doing more stage lights and I can't remember if somebody was doing sound. But basically, that's what I did for the Boy Genius load-in. And then the day was over. I got to go home, get ready for the show. And we went and saw the show. And it was super cool. Hello, my name is Abby Rhodes. Uh, I'm a senior at Clark University. And I made a movie, and we're going to talk about that. Yeah, heck yeah. So, I guess you kind of already did this, but introduce yourself and talk about how you got involved in film. Yeah, so um, I already introduced myself, but I actually did not intend on being a film major. I came to Clark as a poli-sci major, and I, I took a screen studies course just as an elective for fun because I've always liked movies, you know, I was one of those kids that made the videos on iMovie. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just took it and I ended up kind of falling in love with making films and everything about films. So yeah, cool, cool, <laughs> and cool. here I am now. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about the film and like you, you directed and produced it? So. Yep, so I directed, produced, wrote, now I'm currently editing it. Um, it's, it was for the Sarah Bickman scholarship. Um, I knew that I wanted to do something, but the problem with making movies is that you never have money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I applied for a grant and I ended up getting over $3,000 for it, which was pretty awesome. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Um, and I bought lots of equipment to 
produced the film and yeah that's really cool so the film is about um a lesbian and it's it's ah lesbians um and it's sort of about her idealizing a relationship with a woman that she sees from across the bar um so it starts kind of, it starts in like a a real world atmosphere and then it quickly goes into a, a dreamlike space yeah. <laughs> yeah i remember when you were first telling me about it you said it was kind of experimental is that true yeah it's it's definitely on the experimental side um i took a lot of influence from twin peaks you know when they go into the into the red room yeah. and yeah yeah so I, I liked that a lot and then there was also um that sequence from go fish do you remember the sequence? Never, oh you've never that. seen go no. fish oh my god there's a sequence from go fish where the main character is um she's writing in her diary and then there goes it flips to like a a dream sequence where her and a bunch of other actors are acting out exactly what's happening in her diary and it's i just thought it was so cool to like go into the mind of someone and that's kind of what I did. <laughs> okay, so were you like also DP on this or did you have like any assistance? Like, did you have like an AC or? I was not DP. Okay. Um, I got my good friend Zeke Fairley to be DP and then my other good friend Gianni Wasp to AC on cool. it. Um, I had an entire crew actually. Um, so my, my core crew though was Zeke, Gianni, and then Nicole Overbach. Uh, they were my assistant director slash producer in a way um and they i don't know they they helped keep me grounded which was very nice yeah that big head of yours <laughs> really need to stay humbled um and i had a bunch of other people help out and they were all awesome did you shoot mainly in the worcester area or did you stray out of that at all i shot all of the real life sequences at fembar in worcester which is um, a new lesbian bar that just opened up. It's actually one of the very few lesbian bars in the entire country. They were very, very gracious and let me film there on a day that they were closed. And then all of the dream sequences took place on a um, on a stage in a black box theater, and I I built the set like essentially from scratch. Cool. And yeah, all of those were filmed there, and we switched a lot of designs around depending on the scene so how did you go about asking fembar for permission to shoot in there were they like nice about it or yeah they, like, i literally just sent weird? the owners an email and i was like hey can i shoot my my thesis film it's about lesbians <laughs> so you led with lesbians and that yeah, was, like, yeah. Would be and then they were like yeah it sounds good <laughs> okay so th- so they let you do it for free do yeah you to, like okay that's yeah. that's it's nice you didn't have to like run and gun or like steal. They shots. were so nice. They just let me have the space for an entire day. And how long was like the shooting process on an average day? Mm-hmm. Like take me through like the day, the production days, and like what you shot on which day and how that what mm-hmm. that entailed. Yeah. So the the whole process took four days. Um, I reserved in uh, five days, so Monday through Friday to take care of everything but we didn't end up using friday so we only used um monday through thursday um and every day we would run about six or so hours sometimes more so we devoted the morning to building the sets um getting all the lighting set up um and then getting the actors into costumes and then we spent the afternoon actually like filming things so on average we would do like 
two or so scenes a day, but there were some days where um, we had to do only one scene because it was just like so complex. Mm. Lots of camera choreography and whatnot. And like, we're all students, so we're still learning. Right. And there was a lot to, to overcome and troubleshoot. So how much of it was like in the pre-production process and how much of it was just kind of like adapting when those problems like came up? So I tried to micromanage everything as much as possible in the pre-production phase. And then once we actually got to set and started doing things, um, I kind of went completely improv on that. Yeah. Like for on the sets, for example, we were just going to shoot on an empty stage and that was going to be our set. Okay. But then I, I got onto location and I was like, no, this is all wrong. And so we ended up using like pallets, like flats and built a box and used all that to make like rooms for the sets. Obviously they all look completely artificial and that's like on purpose, mm -hmm. but it's super different from what I was imagining with, um, just like an empty stage okay so that was crazy <laughs> so so what was that how did that look where did you just like come in with like plywood and like screw guns so there is a workshop with pre-built flats and we just got a bunch of nail guns and like built them all <laughs> and then we raided the prop room and just used what we could find in there to make the rest of the sets so did you have like a designated design team or was it kind of just like everyone doing everything? Uh, yeah. So the designated design team was Isaac York, one of my good friends, and my roommate Ursula Zia. And then I obviously helped with the design too. I was like, oh, no, I, I like that. And uh, that, that's bad. Blah, 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 blah. Whatever. <laughs> you just turned into an old man. Yeah. Like, I grumpy man. I, I, I turned into, um, who's a grumpy director? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I thought of Danny DeVito. Danny I don't think he directs. No. I don't think he directs either. But yeah, I, I kind of turned into that old man. I did, I did, I did the stuff. Okay. And it looks really cool. It does. Well, worked with what we have. I can vouch for that. <laughs> when did the idea like spur in your brain and like how long did it take you to put things on paper and like fully flesh out those mm. ideas um so the title of the film is actually dykes and their phalluses um and the idea happened before I got the scholarship. Originally, this was supposed to be a photo series where I took photos of lesbians wearing like strap-ons or just like kind of posing, whatever, kind of fun. Oh, they're, 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 posing with, they're posing with their phalluses. Um, and it's supposed to be like powerful, like women do not need the patriarchy, whatever. Um, and then I just didn't really do anything with that idea. And I heard about the Bickman scholarship. And so I ended up applying for the Bickman scholarship and I realized, oh shit, I need to make a film. And so I, I made the screenplay after I got a bunch of money. <laughs>
It's usually how it works. Yeah. I gave him the general idea and the idea has changed completely. <laughs> okay, so did you have like an advisor? Like who was your advisor? Like who was walking you through it all? Soren Sorensen was my advisor. So he helped me with the production process. And then my academic advisor, Rock Sommer, helped me with a lot of the creative stuff. Okay. So you've obviously like produced stuff before. How is it different doing your own project as opposed to someone else's? Like, obviously there's a lot of, well, Mm -hmm. there are a little bit more stakes because it's like your own thing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's still stakes when it's somebody else's thing because you don't want to like screw up their thing. But how did that feel? And have you ever done it before? Made your own, like fully fleshed out short. It was crazy. And I felt all powerful (laughs) in the moment. Um, But I was also extremely stressed out. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) it's better working on other productions where I'm not necessarily the director, Mm -hmm. but also I felt like a lot of pride being the director and being like, yes, these people are working on my project and making my vision happen. Had a little bit of a, like an ego moment where I was like, oh yeah, this is so awesome. I'm such a genius. (laughs) Like a a mad scientist. Yes. And then there were times where I was like, oh my God, I hate this. We need to stop. (laughs) We need to, this this film is never going to see the light of day. (laughs) What were some, what were like, say more about that. Like when did you feel like that on set? Specific Um, instances. Just when things weren't working out. Um, like if we couldn't get a shot right, like initially in one part of the film, it was supposed to be shot on a dolly, but we didn't have access to a dolly. Um, so it was supposed to be like a a dolly forward shot, um, moving through a crowd, Mm -hmm. but that was like too complex to do on just like, uh, on rolling wheels. Mm -hmm. And so we used a table and we had, um, (laughs) <laughs> we had the DP sitting on the table, holding the camera, while people were pushing the rolling table. Um, <laughs> that sounds kind of fun. But it was bad because the stabilization was just awful, and it was so apparent. I couldn't even fix it in post. So did you just scrap the shot? Uh, so we just, we scrapped the um we scrapped the table. We ended up using a a push cart like to put equipment and stuff on, okay. and we strapped the DP to the push cart okay. instead, um, and then we just kind of like rolled with the not perfectly straight, not perfectly smooth feeling. feeling. Yeah, because yeah. we were like, you know what, we're not gonna get this right. We even tried a slider at one point, but then the slider was bad because you could see the edge of it, and it because mm. it wasn't like perfectly level. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, it was a lot of trial and error. Um, <laughs> Would you say it was worth it, though, to get the shot? Or? Yeah, the shot was nice. Um, it's not my favorite shot in the entire film, and I thought it was going to be my favorite shot. So that's a little bit disappointing, mm. but that's okay. Things happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so many, like, variables, I think, when you're, mm-hmm. like, shooting something. And you can do your best to, like, plan for it, but... You kind of just, you're, like, learning as you go. Mm-hmm. And I, it does help to have experience, like, work on other people's, like, projects. But the problems that are going to arise are, like, unique to your own projects. So you mm-hmm. can't really, like, um, you can't really, like, account for that unless it's happening. Kitty. Oh, we're joined here by Ginger. Special guest. <laughs>
what what were some of your inspirations in making the film? Um, I think I already mentioned it before, but David David Lynch, mm-hmm. um, and the film Go Fish. Uh, I forget who it's directed by actually. I don't know. But uh, she was a lesbian filmmaker. Um, Barbara Hammer. Um, a lot of her shorts are pretty cool. Um, and then there's another director that I can't think of the name of did right you, now. <laughs> did you have like, um, when you were storyboarding or if you were storyboarding like mm-hmm. images that you used like, as inspo from other films and stuff? Yeah, I used a lot of set design inspo from, um, but I'm a cheerleader. Yeah, cool. Because cool. you know how it's like, it's got that cartoony yes it's very lovely yeah yeah and so i I kind of i tried to use that for a lot of the sets um and then i also really like um the neon colors of like the film fallen angels that one i forget who it's directed by but like they're more green and i used i used pink instead of green um, but I, I liked the neon, like, vibrant bar, bar look of that film. What made you go for pink? Was that, like, a thematic choice, or... Because rose-colored glasses. Uh, okay, so it's yeah. more of, like, a narrative choice? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's also just pretty. That's true. And Fembar is a, a pink place, so That's true. I really wanted to play up the pink. How long did it take to build most of the sets? Mm. About an hour or so. Yeah, so it was pretty fast. The initial building of the flats and stuff took like two hours. But then we just ended up using the flats every single time. And we just put in different props to make it look like a completely new scene. But we kept like the background consistent. um, just Just for funsies. Also, I think aesthetically it looks interesting. Because I, I feel like the way you're explaining it seems like it was all time so time consuming, but mm-hmm. it, you did it in such like a quick, in such a mm-hmm. short amount of time. Because a lot of it was just on the fly. Okay. And did you plan for it to be like that, or was it just kind of like that? It just, it just happened. <laughs> um, okay, so you, you directed and produced, well, you, you had someone else produce it, right? I produced it, okay. but I had an assistant. <laughs> okay, so you had an assistant producer. Um, you edit, you're editing it. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you kind of just basically did it all. Did you yeah. ever think that you wouldn't have the capacity to be doing so much, so many things? But you, you shot it over the summer, so it wasn't yeah. like it, like the, the semester was happening. Um, so how much time were you dedicating, like on a in like to pre production? pre-production i finished most of pre-production actually um in the spring okay and so i had all of summer to start working on more things and like finalizing things and (laughs) things and things things. yeah i just did a lot of like crazy micromanaging like i would i would wake up in a cold sweat and be like, yeah, this is what I need. And like write it down on, on, on Excel and like okay. keep track of everything. Um, yeah. So I was like really, really organized going into it. 
But then once the thing actually came, I was like, oh, screw all this. We're doing improv. <laughs> Did you improvise at all, like, in any of the dialogue or was... There was no dialogue. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so um, it starts out with a monologue um, and a poem, Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. Um, so it starts out with that, and that's the only dialogue. And we hear that as sort of like an internal monologue from our main character, Eve. Um and then the rest is just music. And so I'm having someone score the film, working on that with him. And then that'll okay. be it. <laughs> what what kind of music are you looking for for that? Like what? Um, so the Tim, our, our music guy, he specializes in house music. So we're gonna do something kind of similar to house music but I want it almost to be a little bit more like ambient noise mm. music instead. Okay. Um, because noise music can be very like jazzy in a way. It's, it's improv, essentially, yeah. of just like <laughs> random tones. And then you put them together and they sound good. They make your brain feel good. <laughs> and that's, that's just kind of what I'm going for. Like, um, the sound is background. It's more like it, I want people to focus on the imagery. Okay. But I also didn't want dialogue. Right. <laughs> so it's a, it's like a glorified silent film. And those are some of the coolest films. I've yeah. <laughs> but is there a reason why you didn't want it to have dialogue? Did you not want it to be like... I suck at writing dialogue. Oh. <laughs> and it's actually really hard, but I've been finding lately that... I mean, dialogue doesn't make or break a film. Like, mm. Some of my favorite films have like very little dialogue. So mm. I feel like it's kind of easy to be like when you're somebody who wants to make films. Like, oh, I have to constantly be writing. And mm. I don't have enough words in my script or blah, blah, blah. But mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is actually like not that at all. Yeah. Like, you can write a, dial a very good dialogue-heavy film, but you can also write one that doesn't have a lot of dialogue. And it's just as good, if not better. Mm -hmm. um yeah so yeah i hate writing dialogue that was the main reason but um i get what you're saying yeah i mean especially because <laughs> you don't have it's there's a genre but it's kind mm -hmm. of like undefined in a way so mm -hmm. it's easy to write for genre but when there isn't really a specific genre you're like what are you <laughs> writing towards oh okay but since there isn't um dialogue how did you did you find that you were kind of still forced to like follow like plot points and structure or is there kind of like is it not really traditional narrative in that sense where there's like no conflict mm. or resolution or climax um it's very loose um there's not a lot of an overall there's not necessarily like a story being told but you kind of understand through the different scenes, the emotions that are happening. Um, so it like, I, <laughs> how, how should I describe it? It goes from a girl seeing another girl from across the bar. She imagines their life together. There's so much cat hair. <laughs> um, There's a lot. And so, so she, she goes into a dream sequence where she imagines their life together. And the, the first part of the dream sequence, look at the way she's looking at you. The so weird. <laughs> you know she's bashful. She's like, all oh, you guys are making fun yeah, of me. Yeah, we are. <laughs> the first part of the dream sequence is um, 
her and her lover, they are sitting together having a picnic and the first thing that she does is propose. So we don't see like the beginning of the relationship. We only see like when they're supposed to be at their happiest, when they're like, oh, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, whatever. Um, and then immediately it cuts to the next scene where the two are in bed, but they're obviously like pulling away from each other. And so the audience is supposed to sense that, oh, okay, like there's something going on here. Something nice. that's not really quite right. And then it cuts to the next scene where it's the wedding and everything's perfect and lovely, but there's something a little bit off about it because like, for example, all of the guests are wearing masks. Um, they're in a very artificial environment, um, that kind of a thing. But it's still like happy and you mm -hmm. would perceive it as happy unless you were kind of like picking up on little things. Mm -hmm. And then the um, next scene after that, what is the next scene after that? Five, what was five? <laughs> um, oh, 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 our main character is seen um, like draping herself over a television where a looping video of her wedding day is being played but she's obviously been like crying and thinking back on the happy times she's not happy anymore and then her lover gets a scene where at one point she's like arranging a a vase of flowers and then there's like jump cuts of her smashing the flowers and so there's there's something wrong. There's something right. wrong, obviously, in the relationship. But you don't see what the what's wrong about that. And then the last scene of the dream sequence, they're both old and sitting in wheelchairs, but they're not talking to each other. They're not looking at each other. They're not touching. They're not anything. They're just sitting in silence far away from each other. And so you're supposed to kind of like interpret the emotions that are going on in that. Right, so there's like there's clearly a lot of thought put into the progression of the story, but a lot of it happens in the subtext. So, mm -hmm. did you was there like a written like scheme of like A, B, C, or did you kind of no? Nope. Just I just kind of was like, I want these emotions to be displayed on the screen. Um, I'm gonna gonna write some some cool scenes that i think would be really pretty to <laughs> to make and then like the extra stuff just came out okay mm -hmm. something i kind of think about is the fact that um i guess for like people who make films a lot of the things that they're like trying to convey like if they were to watch it it would come really easier to them but mm -hmm. like the it might not come as easy to the audience so were you kind of like catering the script to a specific audience to avoid that or was it more like i'm just gonna make it and then anyone can interpret it how they want to <laughs> the latter the latter <laughs> i was like i i like the way this looks um i like the story that i'm telling people can figure it out <laughs> yeah going back to what you were talking about with the the wedding scene mm. and there's like a scene where the two characters are watching that or it's happening on the tv behind them mm -hmm. can you talk about how it, what it was like to film everything related to that like did you yeah. film the, obviously film the wedding scene first mm -hmm. or? 
Yeah, that was that was an interesting thing because those days happened back to back. So we filmed the wedding sequence on, I think, on a Wednesday. Um, so we did all that. And then I made time to shoot the footage for the TV on a camcorder. And so I got all that random footage. And then I put together a micro video on my computer right after we filmed, after we wrapped for the day on Tuesday or on Wednesday. What's that? What's a micro video? It's just like a little, a little snippet. Okay. So I, I made like the snippet that I was going to put on the TV that Eve is like draping herself over. So I just like use a little bit of footage from a camcorder okay. and, and made that tiny movie <laughs> that's being seen. And then I, um, I made the video and then the next morning I showed up and we actually figured out how to like reverse engineer an old TV so that we could plug in our laptop to the old TV okay. and display the video from the laptop onto it. It took a lot, a lot. And how we had to use the owner's manual. And <laughs> there was a trip to Best Buy at one point, but we did it. You and did it. I was so excited. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. That sounds like um, quite the endeavor. Um, <laughs> yeah. So did you have the camcorder also shooting the scene on like at the same time? At the as this like did you have like the regular camera shooting the wedding, then also the cam the camcorder? No, no, no. We did all of the regular camera work first, okay. and then I took the camcorder and I just started recording a bunch of things that I thought were cool. Oh, okay. Right. And then I took the footage from the camcorder and edited that all together. I see. Yeah. Okay. Did you was that your original plan for that scene, or like, were yeah. you like I want to have this, the camcorder? Well, for the original plan was to put the footage from the camcorder onto a VHS tape, but that would have been way too much to do in the turnaround time because then I would have had to like put the, um, I would have had to put the video onto, I'd have, have to burn it onto a DVD mm -hmm. and then I'd have to put the DVD into a DVD slash VCR machine whatever yeah. <laughs> and then i would have to burn it onto a vcr mm -hmm. tape and then i would have to put the tape in the tv whatever um <laughs> all of that kind of stuff and it just proved to be way too much work yeah. and so i just kept it as a file on my laptop and we did the reverse engineer thing <laughs> where we figured out how to just plug in the laptop to the tv and have it play on there so it was it was playing like a video game. That's so cool. <laughs> so did you have like a point person that you were kind of going to when you had any like technology problems or like somebody to like bounce off ideas from? Isaac York. Okay. He is so smart. He was the one who read through the owner's manual and was like, no, guys, we can make this happen because we were like, oh, shit, how are we going to do this? Like, we can't figure it out because <laughs> there was, a, like, a lot of trial and error. Mm -hmm. And then he was just sitting in the corner, like, reading the owner's manual. And like, <laughs> and, he was, and he was like, no, we can do it. <laughs> and then he just magically did it. And he was insane. Like, we thought that we were going to have to um, mask over the TV screen and just, like, put something on there. And mm -hmm. then it would have looked so stupid and, like, flat. And I don't know. 
but we ended up being able to do it and it was so exciting. That is really exciting. That that shot was really sick. I really liked it. Another thing I wanted to ask you about was casting. Like how did mm. you find people to be in it? Like because there are only two characters, right? Yeah, but then there's also some extras. Okay, yeah. How did you find the main characters and then also the extras? Um one of so which was my old roommate. Isabel <laughs> <laughs> Um, the love interest was actually the first person that I cast. Um, so I put up a post on Facebook in like a New England filmmakers group Mm -hmm. asking people to apply, Mm -hmm. please audition. (laughs) And, um, I got a couple responses and so I ended up going with, um, Sarah, who was ultimately cast. Um, and then the main character was a little bit harder um, we went through a couple different people who said that they could be in it, and then they were like, oh, actually, never mind, I can't, I'll mm-hmm. be busy. And then I was, like, at my wit's end, and I asked my friend Eve if she would act, even though she's, like, not really an actor. Like, she acted in high school, but that was about it. Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah, I guess so. And she ended up being, like, the perfect choice. Like, she was phenomenal. She was awesome. Um, and then all the extras are just people that I forced because <laughs> they were my friends. Yeah. So did, was were there ever times where you doubted your talent? I mean, because they they're important. They're an important part of like the story you want to tell and like how you want to mm. get that message across. And also, like I've never really worked with like specific talent before. Mm. Um, I'm not gonna name names because I feel like that is not cool. So working with talent can be hard. That's what we learned at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Do you have any, like, um, what were some of the takeaways that you learned, like, that, uh, that you'd bring into another project um, that you didn't think you'd learn? Um, I learned that it's really hard to keep control, mm-hmm. but it's great to have a good team that you can uh, delegate work to. Um, because you learn quickly that you will get very, very, very overwhelmed if Mm -hmm. you're doing everything like me. Um, (laughs) but like having my camera team be exclusively in charge of the camera. So I didn't have to constantly be like, oh, no, 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 change to different f-stop or no, I I don't like the framing or whatever. It's like they read my mind Mm -hmm. because, well, like, first of all, I did make a shot list. Um, (laughs) So they so they knew that, but they like got the framing almost perfectly and they were so efficient with building the rigs and stuff. Um, Like at one point we did a bird's eye view and you saw that. Um, and they had to build a rig where the camera was hanging over the balcony. Mm-hmm. And they were just so, like, good about that. I was like, what the fuck? How did you how did you guys figure out how to <laughs> yeah. do that? Like, they were just so good. And then Nicole kept me on track the whole time. And it was just, it, like, it was great. That is really sick. Mm-hmm. So have a good team. Work with people that you trust. Mm. Obviously, it's nice to have, like, new people to work with. Right. But I think relying on, like, your your core people can be really beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, the people you've done classes with and, like, mm-hmm. you know their temperaments and, you know, mm-hmm. their skill set. And they won't be so, like, unwilling to, mm-hmm. like, help or... Yeah. I mean, and, like, it, even yeah. if you're doing new things or, like, things that are just, like, completely different, like, 
oh, I normally do sound, but this time I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be a gaffer. Mm-hmm. At least I know them and I know that they're able to accomplish things. is your plan action once you finish the short are you gonna submit it to festivals yeah um so first i'm gonna do a public screening at um my college just to show people be like hey look i made this i'm gonna flex on it mm-hmm. um and then i'm planning on submitting it to various festivals i'm basically gonna submit it to any festival i can because chances are i'll get into at least a couple yeah um and then i'm just gonna show it off be like look guys this is what i can do and i i do plan on making more things right um so this was a this was a launch towards a new new career soft launch i mean it i guess it hard launch hard launch please give us jobs but Mm -hmm. i guess it i mean you came to college to study that so Mm -hmm. what what were you thinking your career path would be once you finished with college and is it different or is it the same um, like what do you want to do post-grad um i guess i didn't really know how the film industry worked and so i just like kind of assumed oh i'm gonna graduate when i f- first got into the program mm-hmm. oh i'm gonna graduate and i'm gonna go work in hollywood as a it's just someone on set, whatever, yeah. I don't know. Um, it's a little bit different than that. So I guess when I graduate, I'll obviously like pursue my own creative stuff, mm-hmm. but I'll probably start with um, just working on smaller sets and working my way up there, doing a lot of freelancing. Obviously, I have my job on the side, yeah. Trader Joe's. Blue. <sighs> we used to both work there, yeah. but I quit. um first goal is to move to a city though because that's where the work is yeah um worcester is a city but it's not it's not very it's not very no so yeah i mean i i'd say like for me it's i want to make my own short by the end of 2024 Mm. but for me i kind of want it to be more of like a narrative thing Mm -hmm. kind of like um well i mean obviously you have like like three x structure and uh, but i i I don't know so much goes into making anything like Mm -hmm. from like even before you're rolling like there's so much thought that goes into it like yeah you need to write usually write a script and then after you have a script you have to make a shot list and then also you need proof of concept and like all that stuff is and that's not even like close to producing where you like gather the crew you figure out finances feeding everyone oh my god yeah so that like a lot goes into that so we're you prepared for the process to be like kind of overwhelming or did it kind of was it easier than you thought or was it what you thought it was going to be i was i was prepared for it to be extremely overwhelming but i think because i did so much prep work months ahead of time it ended up 
being really smooth. Okay. <laughs> like, obviously, there was the improv, but that's because we had the space to be able to improvise just because I did so much prep work. Mm -hmm. Like, it was insane. <laughs> I mean, it's better, like, safe than sorry, like, better. Yes, be exactly. My advisor, he was telling me to stop prepping so much because it would, like, it would just disappoint me. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm going to keep prepping. <laughs> I mean, he does have kind of a point. He does. There's, he there's does. so much you only, like, can, there's only so much you can do mm -hmm. before you actually start shooting. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm glad that I overprepared yeah. because I am, I think I'm happy with what it turned out to be. We'll see once I finish editing. I don't like editing. That's when I always get mad. Okay, so like, talk <laughs> about the, what the post production process oh, has been God. since you wrapped. So, um,. Putting things on the timeline. <laughs> so there's something called drag and drop. <laughs> and cutting. Um, the blade tool. The blade. <laughs> yeah. That's not what I meant. Um. So I I like. Are you editing in order? That's something I guess I can start. With. Yes and no. Okay. I'm jumping around. And then I'm leaving the more complex, or I've been leaving the more complex scenes to do at later times because I'm like, I don't want to open up that can of worms right now. <laughs> right. And I mean, how do you balance it? Because you're still, like, I'm still classes and a job. Yeah. So how are you maintaining the schedule? I go crazy. Um, back to editing. When am I supposed to eat? Never. Because um, <laughs> you're editing. Because I'm editing. But I mean, you can. Here's yeah. Here's eat while you edit i did that the other day i did i How got um out? a burrito bowl from Moe's. it was really oh, good nice. it was awesome i got a lot of work done <laughs> so this is what you learned you yeah. eat while you edit yeah um but yeah has it been like overwhelming to balance everything or? at times i'm like oh my god i'm never gonna get this done um yeah. and then at times i'm like yeah this is cool <laughs> Coasting. This looks good. This, this is awesome. Um, like, one time I spent, like, two hours on trying to figure out the perfect ghosting effect. So I mixed a ghosting effect with a time-lapse effect mm -hmm. to make, like, a cool image. Um, <laughs> and there was a lot of trial and error with that because I was like, no, this looks funky. And then I was, like, adjusting speed and opacity and mm -hmm. I, it was like a lot and <laughs> how did you finally know like um i watched youtube videos mm -hmm. so you you were overwhelmed at times but but so. other times i'm like you know this is okay this is going well and i think it's going to be a pattern that's gonna just keep on occurring for the next couple of months and that's okay <laughs> So after you finish this project, mm -hmm. do you have anything else in the works or do you kind of want to like take a break, focus on school? I actually do have another project that's currently in the works and that I'm going to be doing this fall semester <laughs> because At I'm the same time. because I'm insane. Yes. Um, I'm not directing it, though. I'm not directing it. Um, I just wrote it and I'm producing it. 
Okay. So, and well, I'm also acting in it. <laughs> That's a lot of hats to juggle. <laughs> juggle, juggle, juggle. So yeah, that's in the works. But I am teaming up with my my core people, and we're gonna get this shit done. It's gonna be good. Are you? Is it like in the same vein as D A T P or D and T P? D and sorry. Same vein as in as in. Or, like, genre-wise, is it going to be more like a traditional mainstream type thing? No, it definitely is more experimental. It's a... Let me me give you the the pitch. It's a Catholic confessional turned acid trip. That is so cool. So is is it going to have dialogue? At the beginning, yes. Okay, at the beginning. Interesting. That Mm -hmm. is very cool. When did you start developing that? Um, Over the summer. I uh, end of July. Okay. Cool. And then I wrote the entire screenplay in like a week. And yeah. How long is the screenplay? It's only a couple pages. Yeah, it's it's heavy on visuals. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Last question, which is a question I ask everybody who I have on the podcast, mm-hmm. and it is: when you think of your work, what do you want people to feel? Like, what type of emotions do you want to invoke? Or, like, what do you want... Like, you know how, every, in the vein of auteurship, mm-hmm. if you think of Ari Aster, you're going to think of something, or if you think of Wes Anderson, you're going to think of something. Mm-hmm. Or what, what do you want your your thing to be? I just want people to think it's cool. <laughs> I want people to look at um, my each individual screen cap and be like, wow, that that's a beautiful shot Mm. that's kind of what i'm going for like right now i don't think i've really developed a style and i think the style will develop itself over time Mm. but right now i just want to focus on everything looking gorgeous like this this shot could be a photo that that's a good and i'm working from there (laughs) amazing Mm mm-hmm (laughs) Ha <laughs>